is from Titus chapter 2, verse 11. That is on page, I'm going to have to open it over, maybe I have Page 835 on the Bibles in your tail. So Titus 2, verse 11, 14. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Thanks, Kathy. So, that's Titus um, chapter 2, verses 11 to 14, if you want to keep that open, because we're going to be referring back to that um, throughout um, as I talk. Um, so throughout Lent, the 40 days leading up to Easter, we've been looking at the significance of Jesus' death. And in the build-up towards this celebration of the death and resurrection of Jesus, the idea of Lent is to withdraw from the things that distract us from him. Um, so we put Jesus at the centre of our lives um, as we anticipate um, the celebration um, of these events that make his life so monumental in human history. And um, on Sundays at G2, um, we've been asking the questions, um, what does the death of Jesus mean to us today? And why is this event so significant? So a few weeks ago, Josh talked about Jesus' death being a revelation of God to us, to, to all of humanity. And last week, Gareth um, looked at the idea of Jesus as our justification, um, that Jesus' death was a pure gift of grace um, which put us in right standing before God. And this week, we're picking up right where Gareth left off. Um, so we're going to explore the idea that Jesus is our redemption by unpacking um, these verses in the book of Titus. So let's go back to the passage that Gav read for us. Verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. So this is exactly what Gareth covered last week. God's gift of grace is embodied in Christ's death on the cross. In his death, he took our sin, despite being wholly blameless himself, and put us in right standing before God. That is, he saved us from our own inadequacy and our own mess, and just so that we could stand justified before God. The grace of God that offers salvation is like God wiping our slates clean. But what next? What, what are we meant to do with our clean slates? That we, we have the rest of our lives to kind of to figure that out. I don't know about you, but there might have been like a specific day or moment when you first accepted um, that gift of grace. There might be that one moment that you might be able to, you know, even remember the date of it and, and everything and the time. But, but what about all the days after that? If this gift of grace and forgiveness is so amazing, and Jesus' death is so monumental, then surely its impact stretches further than just an isolated event. How does his death impact how we live? And that's what we're looking at today. How do we live now that we've been forgiven? So let's start by looking at um, what redemption is exactly. The concept of redemption isn't something totally alien to us. 
Um, it's something that we encounter in popular culture, something which is kind of uplifting and inspiring. Um, so Bob Marley um, famously wrote a redemption song about the emancipation from mental slavery, and then there's the film The Shawshank Redemption. I haven't seen that film, I haven't listened to that song, but I googled it. And you might know about it, because apparently it's popular culture. Um, so, so, just so I give you some context. So, um, so redemption is synonymous with being freed or rescued. Um, like, wherever we encounter it, it's always about this idea of being, of being set free. Um, in the Bible, when we, look at, when we talk about um, the death of Jesus being our redemption, um, it's built on this really long history. Um, so the, the Jewish people already had a concept of redemption, which is documented in the book of Exodus, where God physically redeems their nation from slavery in Egypt. So they're brutally oppressed and, and mistreated by the Pharaoh in Egypt. Um, millions of people, this entire nation. And um, God raises up a guy called Moses um, to lead them out of Egypt. I'm cutting it very short, there's lots of detail. But, but he raises up this guy called Moses to lead them out of Egypt. But it is God who shows up in awesome, mighty power and, and liberates them to a completely new life. So God is their redeemer. So when Paul, the writer of the passage um, that we're looking at today, refers to Jesus as our redeemer... He's saying that Jesus has, in the same way, rescued us from slavery. And he's, similarly, he's given us a new life of freedom. So redemption always comes against this background of absolute helplessness and hopelessness. Paul is saying that we cannot save ourselves. We cannot free ourselves. We can't rescue ourselves because we're, we're, we're the ones who are enslaved. We need God to have revealed himself and to have come down to earth to liberate us. And it's Jesus' death that accomplishes this. Colossians um, chapter 1, verse 18, sums it up. For God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption. It might seem a bit crude or extreme to use this terminology of slavery, because we're all free people. Um, it can seem a bit dramatic to refer to ourselves as enslaved or in need of rescue, um, especially when we're not entirely sure what exactly it is that we've been rescued from. So we'll go back to the passage in Titus. Verse 14 says, Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness, and to purify for himself a people that are his very own. So, Jesus has redeemed us from wickedness. In other words, he has redeemed us from sinfulness. And to sin just means to miss the mark, to fall short of God's purity and perfection. So it's not about judgment or some being better than others, um, because I'm sure I'm not alone in admitting that we're all missing the mark in one way or another. Therefore, therefore, one big aspect of being redeemed is to be freed from the enslavement of sin. The enslavement of sin. Doesn't that sound massive? It sounds really heavy. But, but that's because we don't like that. It sounds really uncomfortable. It sounds too heavy. Because we'd rather avoid talking about, because it sounds a bit old-fashioned, it sounds a bit out of touch, even though it's, it's true. In this passage, when it's talking about wickedness 
and worldly, worldly passions and sin, it's not just talking about like sex and drugs and rock and roll. Actually, it's talking about our attitudes and our behaviours. For me, that's a whole lot harder than keeping a few rules. The whole point of this series is for us to refocus on Jesus and to put him back at the centre. What things do we allow to displace him? What are those old habits or negative attitudes that we slip into time and time again? Who is it that just gets under our skin and no matter how many times we're like, I forgive them, that we, they still, it's still like they owe us something? What is it that we keep getting stuck on and tripping over in our journey with God? And how many times in the last month have you said, oh, I, I can't stop thinking like that, or sorry for doing that, but I can't, I can't help it. 2 Peter 2 says, For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For whatever overcomes you, to that you are enslaved. But we've been set free. No matter how many times we fall back, we can always reclaim that freedom because it's a relentless gift of grace from God offered to all people. Back to the passage. So Jesus redeemed us from all wickedness. He rescued you, rescued you and me from all wickedness. And he redeemed us for himself. So we've seen what we've been redeemed from. Let's look at what we've been redeemed for. There's these two aspects to redemption. The forgiveness of our past on one hand, which sets in motion the redemption of our present and our future on the other. So now let's now look at the redemption of our present and our future. Um, because Jesus doesn't just let us loose from slavery like some animal into the wild. Um, he gives us freedom. There's a big difference. So going back to the second half of verse 14 in Titus, Jesus gave himself to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. God wants to purify us. This is really important to grasp that when we allow God to transform us, when we allow the Holy Spirit to, to dwell in us, um, to God, for God to work in us, um, he doesn't just turn us into some strange stereotype or, or caricature. Redemption is a process of purification. And when we purify water or refine gold, it's similar to that kind of thing. So you burn and you sift away all the rubbish and everything that's contaminating it until it's in its purest and most valuable form and its best form. Gold becomes more fully gold, more goldy, when it's, when it's been through this process. And with us, God is purifying us so that we can become more fully ourselves, more fully who we were created to be. To do that, he has to burn and sift away all the rubbish in our lives, everything that's contaminating who, everything that's contaminating who he created us to be, all the things that contaminate how we live. But it's only when Jesus is at the centre of our lives that we can allow him to purify our lives. For me, this is so difficult. It's, it's scary and it's painful sometimes um, letting go of the old ways of living. But what does it look like? What does purification look like? So tomorrow morning when you get out of bed to go to work or write your dissertation or chase after your kids all day, what does being purified, how does that even translate into, into real life? 
God's grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. That's verse 12. And that's what redeemed lives look like in the present. Self-controlled, upright, godly. What a challenge. First of all, because God's grace doesn't take us out of the firing line. It doesn't make the stuff that we struggle with just magically disappear. Rather, it teaches us how to deal with it. It teaches us how to say no to it. In John 17, Jesus prays this massive, incredible prayer over his disciples and all those who believe in him. And he says to God, Father, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, just as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. It's okay to be challenged because God has sent us into the world. When we're faced with worldly passions, it's because we're meant to be facing them. And it's okay that it can be hard work sometimes, saying no to that. Because God intended us to live in, live in that place of being faced with it. And it's a challenge saying no to ungodliness because when we say a straight no, we don't need room for negotiation. Saying a straight no means dying to sin daily and not giving it a vote in the way that we live our lives. Romans 6 describes redeemed lives as being dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Dead to sin and alive to God. I spend so much more of my time managing my sin and excusing it and denying it and when someone points it out, justifying it or calling them judgmental, I spend far more of my time even just worrying about it than I do being alive to God. I spend far more time... If if sin has been put to death, if sin has been nailed to the cross when Jesus died then it's, it's, it's dead and buried. And I spend more time hanging around that grave than I do actually like finding out who God is and what he's doing right now. So much more of my time. It's ridiculous. <laughs> and we need to be able to put that to death. We need to lay it to rest and, and realise that Jesus has had victory over it and that keeping going back to it is trying to drag this corpse. It's, like, it's horrible. Like, it's, it's ridiculous. He didn't, he set us free for a reason. Galatians 5 verse 1 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Now make sure that you stay free. And this isn't, this is so important that you realise that it isn't about being bound to a specific set of rules. It's not about, um, oh, it's like really religious and I need to do this and I need to do that and I need to do that. And if I don't do them, then I feel ashamed and I feel rubbish and I have to go back to God and say, please forgive me because I'm not very good at this. Like, it's, it's, not, it's not like that. It's, but it's not also going to the other extreme and, and trying to live a life which is just anarchy. Because with anarchy, all we do is we just build our own structure. We build our own rules. We, we make our own gods and we start to live by that. And then our lives become chaos. So why do we keep going back? Why do we keep going back to the same old sin? I was chatting about this with Josh, and we came up with the analogy of, it's like a dog going back to its vomit. (laughs) What a horrible analogy. I said I wasn't going to use it, but I did. (laughs) Because that's what it's like. Um, So why do we keep going back? Why? 
why, why do we sometimes feel like we're just kind of stuck in the same old stuff and actually there should be a sense of moving forward, surely? In, in, this, in this journey of faith and of, and of um, learning to love God and learning to o- obey him, that we should have a sense of, like, we're moving forward in that. We're not just kind of s- sat still. So often I think, like, for me, there's certain things that I really struggle with and um, I end up asking for forgiveness for them all the time. And that's quite good, like, I've got discipline in asking for forgiveness for them, that's, but why, why am I stuck on them for, like, and then six months down the road, I'm still, we're sat in cell, and I go, oh, I really struggle with this. <laughs> I'm still struggling with that, with the same old thing. And actually, freedom, about being set free, is about moving forward. It's about pressing into God more, pressing, moving forward in, in him, not just standing still and camping out and watching everyone else run past you. So going back to Colossians chapter 1, 13. Jesus has redeemed us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into his kingdom. So this redemption means that we're walking continually, we're moving forward in the light of God, out, not in the dominion of darkness, not kind of going back, not walking and then darting back into the shadows and saying, I'm just going to keep this in the dark, God, because I don't really want you to see that. I don't really want us to deal with that because when you shine the light on it, it hurts. It means we're continually walking in the light. Because that's what purification is like. It's burning away, sifting away. That's what redemption is, redeemed lives. It's an awesome gift, but there's also a challenge and responsibility to let God in and let God work in our lives and purify us. And with the Israelite nation, so when we were talking about Exodus, they did exactly that. So God had literally, physically brought them out of slavery and into freedom. And they got nostalgic. They got nostalgic about being in slavery. They were like, oh, it was better back then. (laughs) How ridiculous. But we do the same. We do the same because we kind of go, oh, it was more comfortable back then. It was easier back then. I often do the same. So this might sound like a lot of hard work, um, and to be perfectly honest, it is. <laughs> it is. But God didn't ask us to do it alone. First of all, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5, Paul talks about how we are to live freely, animated and motivated by God's Spirit, and we can choose to be led by the Spirit rather than the law. So rather than striving to keep moral rules and being bound to this um, oh, I need like, this checklist of what I need to do and who I need to be and how good I need to be. We're just told to keep in step with the Spirit. Just keep being surrendered. Keep letting God in. So this isn't just um, a touchy-feely thing either. Um, it's not um, kind of just like, oh, it just feels nice. It's about being filled with the Holy Spirit, God's Holy Spirit, for a purpose, to be strengthened from the inside out so that we can continue walking in the light. We can continue living redeemed lives and saying no to ungodliness. So secondly, this also takes self-control and discipline. So Hebrews 12 says, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So this isn't, again, about being ashamed that we're messing up, Um, It's about being taught by God's grace. We accept it and it's a gift, but we're also taught by it. We're disciplined by it. 
because he wants to teach us how to live. And this means putting what we've learned to the test, having the guts and having the discipline to actually go through with it every day. And we need other people to help us do this. Look around you. You have been amazingly blessed with other people. Look around you. None of you are looking around you. Look around you. Thank you. Look around you. <laughs> you have been amazingly blessed with other people who are all on the same journey as you, whatever stage they're at. To remain disciplined and to keep walking with Jesus means being really honest with each other as well. So for me, having specific people around me um, who were keeping me to account, um, that's really vital for, for how I'm walking, how I'm doing. Um, so they've been, I've, it's giving them permission to be brutally honest with me, um, to keep prodding me um, when I'm kind of going over the same old stuff and I look like I'm about to set up camp in that same old place, um, but also to, just to cheer me on and just to encourage me. So there might be people in your life who are, who are like that. There might be people who are more like mentors. Um, so you've given them permission to, to challenge you and push you forward in faith um, because their wisdom and their experience is something that you want to learn from. And if you haven't given someone permission to do this, then you're missing out. You really are. Like, that's, it's been so vital to me to have someone who's just, who's just there with you the whole time and just cheering you on and being like, what are you doing sometimes? <laughs> Um, so I challenge you um, just to think about who this could be in your life. If you, if you haven't already got someone or a few people, um, just think about who are, you, who are you doing this journey with? So we've looked at how Jesus is our redemption for the past and the forgiveness of our sins and how he has redeemed our lives in the present and how we're called to live redeemed free lives rather than wandering back into slavery to sin. But what is this whole journey leading to? Because we've already seen, it's not just a pointless exercise in morality. Verse 13 of Titus 2. We live this way while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Jesus' death on the cross was so monumental, it changed not only history, but our entire future. And all the days leading up to that. We are all in anticipation of this day of total glory. And in the meantime, we are being transformed from glory into glory. God who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That's in Philippians. And what, what an amazing promise. From glory into glory. It's not just about... Oh, we need to be good now, so for the future, it's like, no, we are already seeing, we're already glimpsing this glory. And no matter what we've done or will do, our acceptance of God's grace signifies the acceptance of that promise of glorious hope. And what's even more incredible is that through redemption, God has offered us that taste of this glory in the present. We're able to live life to the full right now. We've covered quite a lot of ground. <laughs> it's been quite a whistle-stop tour. Um, but I want to invite you to respond to it. Um, and so as we're taking communion to remember Jesus' death, um, the source of our redemption, and as we worship, there's a few things that I'd like you to specifically focus on. Maybe you've been struck by this idea of freedom. 
like of being freed from the past, being, being forgiven, or just being freed from being stuck in the same old rut. Or perhaps um, it's more about this idea of um, you want to be alive to what God is doing. For me, before I, um, before I came to uni, um, I was a Christian, still am, obviously, um, but, um, but I was kind of in this way of thinking where God's like a, God was like a clinic kind of thing that I went to, um, where instead, where, when it, things got tough, or even when I was happy, I'd kind of go to this little God clinic and kind of be like, oh yeah, you're great, and then just go back into my normal life. Whereas actually, this whole thing, it, it's a journey. Um, and actually, when I, when I came into realising that, um, I realised that, yeah, it was, it was this journey where I was meant to be kind of step by step, rather than just kind of jumping in and out. And, and that, that feeling of just staying still and being bored by it, actually walking and walking with God and moving forward with God and taking that risk of faith, of trusting in him, rather than just believing that he exists and that he, he's quite nice, um, that was huge. That was life-changing. And so maybe it's that idea of um, being freed from that, that kind of being stuck there, or maybe it's being alive to what God is doing um, and actually putting sin to death instead of going back to the same old stuff, oh, I've had a problem, so I'm going to go back to this weird little clinic thing, um, that actually, no, I'm going to move forward because Jesus has had the victory over it already. Or maybe you've been struck by this idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit for a purpose. Um, keeping in step with the Spirit in order to allow God to purify you. Maybe you just want to take, um, take this time, take this moment to, to just be bold and just say, God, I'm, I'm in. Tra- change me. It's so worth it. Or maybe it's just that you don't feel like you're living in this promise of redemption. You're kind of numbed to that hope of glory. And so every day is just like a hard slog, day after day, and then the next day, on actually living in the hope of, of awesome glory, being changed. And today is glory. It's not just a hard slog, it's not just a rehearsal. Whatever it is, whatever it is that struck you, um, respond to it. And as we worship, um, I'm sure there'll be, there'll be a few of us um, who would love to pray with you. I would love to pray with you. I would love to talk to you about this. But be bold. And just come into a new realisation of, of what redemption, what redeemed lives look like.